Broadcasting from behind the Second Amendment Iron Curtain in the shadows of the New York City skyline, this is Gun For Hire Radio, the voice of one million New Jersey gun owners, with your hosts, Sandy Berardi and Master Firearms Trainer, Anthony Calandra. Live from the land that freedom forgot, the most listened to Second Amendment broadcast in the nation. Welcome to it. Oh, boy, do we have a full show today. We're going to get into um, the AG of New Jersey, Stuart Plankton. His little ass was lifted on Judge Bum's uh, lap, and she had to spank him. We're going to get into that later. And we're continuing from last week's show, The Racist Roots in Gun Control, which is interesting because the Philadelphia Inquirer came out with a huge expose with Maj Ture, who's been on this show before, Black Guns Matter, All Guns Matter, we know. And I read that article, and, you know, there's so much stuff in there. And I had, you know, last week's show that I had posted, uh, one of our 2A uh, heavy lifters who's been to Trenton and uh, who's involved in the uh, syndicate page as well as uh, behind uh, the curtain helping out with, you know, everything uh, legal and advice and working with Jay Factor and Mark Cheeseman, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't even know where he lives, but... He posted uh, some great stuff on the um, Syndicate uh, Facebook page. And after his first post, before he could post the second post, I said, I want you on the show this week. There's just too much juicy stuff here that we need to share with everybody so that we all understand and know our place. Because Anthony has been saying for 12 years that we are the third tier. The law-abiding, tax-paying citizens are on the bottom. The illegals and the criminals are the second tier. And the first tier is the elites and the political class, obviously, law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody should be aware of that now. Once you realize they hate you, it all makes sense. So without further ado, this gentleman was born and raised in Hudson and Essex County. He lives in Bergen County now with his wife and four children. Bless his soul. He's been a gun owner and an outdoorsman all his life. He got his first NRA membership for his birthday when he was 11. That is beautiful, by the way. Now he's a small business owner in New Jersey, which ain't an easy thing, by the way. And he spent the first half of his career in Wall Street working with large financial institutions and insurance companies. He's got a B.A. from St. Peter's and uh, Seton Hall University School of Law. Go Man, that's pretty good. Go Peacocks and go Pirates. I don't follow sports. I don't know what that means, but I'm hungry now. Um, I have served on the board of numerous nonprofits and educational institutions for many years, and he's testified at most of the A4769 to kill or carry bills. So this is our guy, okay? And, uh, you know, he got pissed off because he wants everybody reminded how McKeon, Assemblyman McKeon, said those people in Patterson and Newark and Camden and Elizabeth shouldn't be trusted with their Second Amendment rights. So without further ado, discussing racist gun laws in the Reconstruction Era South, amongst other things, is the Joe Laporto. Joe, welcome to Gun for Hire Radio, brother. Thank you so much for having me on today. It's uh you know, as we were chatting just before the start of the show here, I mean, on some level, it feels absolutely ridiculous that we're even having this conversation. Right. I mean, absolutely 100%. ridiculous. If this were, if there were any other area of the law where the state or the federal government was proposing to to regulate some other aspect of our lives, and their position was, well, 
We derive our authority from this, from 500 years of institutional racism, and we just want to keep that going. It's working so well, so we're just going to keep that going for a little bit longer with this new with this new law. I mean, there would be this would be the the cover of the New York Times, the the front page of CNN. There would be protests and riots everywhere. Uh, the fact that this is uh, being permitted. These arguments are being allowed to be made in public that the statements that our legislators have made in the past have been made without any sort of reprisal, any sort of response, any sort of I mean, no one's lost their Twitter account so far. And that's <laughs> that's amazing. You know, right? That's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, and it, it's offensive, you know. Uh, oh, yeah. The, the, the fact that, that that this is continuing. But uh, but nonetheless, here we are. So well, it just it goes so to show you, right? They they have to trot out Jim Crow in order to <laughs> because they're all out of ammunition now. Yeah, they're going yeah. they're going way before that as well. I mean, yeah, it's, this sure. is it's you need correct. permission from your owner. I mean, yeah. wow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so you, you so know, Joe, some of your posts. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Please. Go ahead. Go I need ahead. Ask the question. No, I, <laughs> no. Say what you were going to say, please. Okay. I mean, I, I was going to say, I mean, I wanted to sort of preface this whole conversation by saying that, I mean, obviously uh, on, on Syndicate and in other places, everyone's sort of eager to sort of track and follow the prog progression of these lawsuits. And, uh, and we're all sort of dialed in and, uh, and watching minute by minute, filing by filing. Kurt Lundy is out there crushing it, pulling down every single My son. Thing that's, yeah, pulling down <laughs> the moment something drops, it's it's out there for public consumption, which is great. Um, so part of this is is having a conversation about the the direction of these cases and how they're developing and how the state's framing their arguments. So it's some of it's just sort of paying attention to what's happening. But there's an there's an active component to this conversation because this is not so much about winning in court. This is about winning in the court of public opinion. You know, we need to be more vocal and get this stuff out there because the mainstream media is not going to do it in, in this instance, even though this stuff is horrible, even this, though this stuff is disgusting and offensive. Uh, it's just not going to get it out there unless we nope. uh, unless we make the case and bring it to the bring it to the forefront of, of folks attention. And it's important because this is an election year, you know, so us getting out there True. and making our case and talking about things and exposing this stuff for what it is. Uh, is really critical in this particular year, you know, because, you know, while I'm happy to talk about cases and litigation and we can talk about that all afternoon if you like. But uh, but I think this this particular election cycle in this year, given everything that's going on, is, uh, you know, it, is a make or break moment for us as a community. So uh, so yes. I, I want people to walk away from this conversation talking not just about, you know, what's going to happen next in the cases, but but also about what do we do about it? How do we make our how do we make our voices heard and make other people see things the way we're very clearly seeing it as it's playing out in front of us? So agreed. That's agreed. a very good 100%. question. It's a very good question because we haven't been able to, for whatever reason, over the years, rouse enough ire in the groups that we need to in order to be heard. And for whatever reason, uh, the left can step all over us. They can do whatever they say. Um, whatever they like, whatever bring bring up whatever degrading, derogatory uh, phrases 
uh, identifiers they want to use with us, and we seem to just sit back and take it. Exactly, and not only do we take it, it, it this moments like this sort of expose the fact that that's self reflection. Mm-hmm. You know, like yes. that yes. it's them, yep. it's them feeling guilty about the very things that they're doing. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, we've always and said whatever they're complaining about the most is exactly what they're doing. Whatever yeah. they accuse yep. us of, they're doing. And, and you know, for in my mind, that the, the fact that this plays out the way that it does, um, it demonstrates something, and that is, to the extent that they're dragging these issues out into the public, it's largely for. Uh, kabuki theater purposes mm-hmm. yeah. you know it's yeah. marionettes yeah. on a string yeah because deep down inside when it comes right down to it when it broaches on the issue of the second amendment the real priority is disarming us all absolutely and we're going to take all of this racial division yeah. stuff and we're going to throw that right by the wayside oh yeah racism is great in the context of disarming you right uh yep. so correct so you know, again, it's a broad conversation. I think it's something that we need to talk about as a community. Um, and, and in reality, it, it, it dovetails with a lot of the things that the left likes to talk about. It's just it's just inconvenient that they're the ones that are doing it. You know, yeah. and <laughs> 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 so, True. you know, th- th- this conversation requires us to talk a little about some of the issues that have been uh, sort of brought up in the context of. Uh, the sort of the BLM movement and critical race theory and all of that, that, that stuff. Uh, because when we talk about issues of criminal justice reform and social reform, it, it's this exact issue that we're talking about today that, that is really at the center of all of that and yet being completely ignored in the mainstream media and all the other places. So, but, uh, but uh, yeah, so I guess that's a, that's a, that's about as much of a preface as I want to put on things. So, um, yeah, you know, you know, there, the, there's two issues really. And I would put it this way, um, you know, Bruin and the Bruin holding, uh, was a, was an extension of Heller and McDonald that brought us to a next sort of level pish, position, uh, in terms of defending our rights in court. Uh, it's, it was a progression from. Heller granting or determining that the Second Amendment is an individual right, not a collective right, uh, mm-hmm. to to McDonald, which incorporated the Second Amendment against the states, meaning that the Bill of Rights in its natural form and its original sort of uh, configuration was primarily written as a restraint on the federal government. And it was only by operation of the 14th Amendment passed in the wake of the Civil War that uh, through the due process and equal protection clauses of the 14th Amendment that these Bill of Rights, fundamental rights, started to get selectively incorporated against the state. So until McDonald, until 2010, the Second Amendment wasn't directly applicable to state legislation. But then post-McDonald, now the states have to, have to be restrained by the Second Amendment in the same fashion as the federal government is. And then uh-huh. Bruin, which which basically established that the right to keep and bear arms does not end at your doorstep. You know, so Bruin in its core sort of holding establishes that we have a fundamental right to keep and bear arms outside our homes. And when you look at the sort of progression there, um, it, it really just tracks the language of the second amendment. 
which is you know something that we all collectively understood. It just took this much time and this much litig- litigation to get to that point. And how sad is this? Yeah, yeah. It it. Thirty years. When when I think of uh, constitutional law as a general area, right? There's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of, amb- I don't want to say ambiguity, but. Uh, when we take certain sort of hot button issues as it relates to constitutional interpretation, there's certain areas that have evolved over hundreds of years of, of case law because how these things are interpreted, how they uh, work vis-a-vis, let's say, interstate commerce or something along those lines. Uh, uh, it's a constantly evolving sort of legal uh, framework. The Second Amendment, however, uh, there's no provision in the Constitution that's more bright line, more clear than the <laughs> exactly second. Right. The right of the keep people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. <laughs> so simple. Like, it is so simple. And it took the, the progression of these three cases uh, to reach that point. And they made it simple because it is simple. And they, at their time, it was so clear and concise, they felt they did not have to elaborate on such simplicity. But we have, over the years, through whatever political actions we have, and the, and the Jim Crow era was mainly responsible for it, is the fact that we didn't want certain people to have rights, regardless of what the founders said. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I can't, you know, I can't continue to beat you if you have a gun. Correct. Nope. Yeah, so... so continue, I mean, Joe. So, so... You know, where I'm going with that is that the core Bruin holding uh, uh, establishes that carrying an, a firearm outside your home for the purposes of self-defense is presumptively protected conduct under the Second Amendment. So when we look at it in the context of the cases that have cropped up uh, in light of this sort of Bruin response bill that, uh, that, are, that are in their infinite wisdom they decided to pass... Um, when it comes to aspects of these cases, like all of the sensitive place restrictions, uh, that is so squarely dealt with by Bruin that the odds of success for the state on some broad law that's going to basically turn the entire state of New Jersey into some uh, gun-free zone, they're going to lose on that. Like, they're going to 100% lose on that. Now, how far that goes, we'll see how that takes shape in the cases. Uh, you know, as as the, as we progress through the various stages, but they're not going to win ultimately on on this sort of sensitive place stuff. Where there's a concern is the the provisions around fees and insurance mm, uh, yeah. and training, yep. right? Because there's certain things that were not perfectly dealt with in the Bruin holding, partly because it wasn't central to the question in that case. Uh, you know, uh, Justice Thomas made some uh, added some dicta in some of the footnotes of the Bruin holding that that started to address the question about uh, fees and processing delays and whether or not that would be construed as a as a restriction to these rights. And it, there's hints to what, how the court might land on this issue in the future in the Bruin holding. But it's not on topic. That's sort of what we would call dicta in the holding. Um so Bruin addresses most of the, the stuff that we're facing in these lawsuits, but it doesn't address it all. And this fees, insurance and, and training restri- uh, requirements that are being imposed here, um, 
are the ones that we're probably should be most concerned with at the moment in terms of not only in terms of how the cases are progressing, but in terms of potentially where the future of gun control goes in light of all of this. Right. Like if the, if the state is reasonably successful in its arguments vis-a-vis fees, insurance, training, et cetera, uh, that's a wide open door. It's a scary door. Right. Because mm-hmm. that that leaves open the possibility of all sorts of uh, of regulation. Now, the 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 other aspect of Bruin is, of course, that uh, in order for a state to justify its laws, it can't just use this sort of interest balancing test. It can't just say like, oh, you know, like we have a compelling interest in pro- providing for public safety or addressing some something or another that they've decided is important or, or shows up in some BS statistical study that they pulled out of thin air. Uh, they have to demonstrate some historical analoger or something that is rooted in, in early American history that would have been in place in roughly the time frame in which the Second Amendment was passed. Uh, that's mm-hmm. part of the Bruin holding. Problem is this. When we get to the topic of fees, insurance, uh, training requirements, um, there are a fair number of historical analogs from both the founding era of the country and all the way up to 1868 when the 14th Amendment was passed. The problem is the vast majority of those examples, those historical examples, are just com- completely racist, right? Like there's no, there un- it was an unabashed, un- um, uh, unbridled attempt to restrict the right of certain classes of people, certain people based on either their racial or or religious or ethnic backgrounds, uh, to to uh, to exercise a right. So, you know, one of the points that I made in, in in a post that I did earlier on Facebook is that we could debate about what Bruin means in the long run, but it's just logic would dictate that. Um, Bruin cannot be a time capsule for hundreds of years of racism, right? The fact that it requires historical analogs as, as evidence that the state is exercising its authority in a manner that's consistent with the way that people in 1791 would have thought about the right to keep and bear arms doesn't mean that we get to capture hundreds of years of racism and bring it forward into the 21st century, right? That just can't be, that can't be the answer. Um, you know, I, I suspect at some point in the future, this question may find its way back before the Supreme Court because. Oh, I, su- I suspect you're right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bru- Bruin answered a lot of questions for us, but it doesn't answer this part of it. And, and we see it not just in New Jersey, but in all the states that are that are trying to get by applying the Bruin sort of analogical reasoning reasoning process. They, they have nowhere else to go if they're trying to pull up historical analogs other than looking at these types of laws that come mm. from these different eras. So, Correct. Yeah, so just in terms of, like, you know, I guess educating ourselves, trying to understand, uh, you know, as we're reading about developments in these cases, like where they're pulling their analogies from, you can kind of categorize American law from these different periods as it relates to gun control. Because when we look at that period of time, let's say pre uh yeah sort of pre-1900 type law uh it's gonna fall in one of those categories right like it's gonna be sort of 1791 and prior era laws where the law basically just literally would say 
slaves and freed slaves and Catholics and Indians are not allowed to have firearms, right? It would, it is uh, on its face discriminatory, right? And prior to the Civil War, that's what gun laws looked like. Uh, Mm -hmm. Native Americans can't have guns. Uh, Black people and freed slaves can't have guns. Christians, Catholics can't have guns, I should say. Catholics, I should say. Um, After the Civil War, you know, you have uh, both the end of slavery as an institution, and then you also have uh, the 14th Amendment along with the 13th Amendment and the the amendments that were passed in, in the wake of the Civil War. So you have different sort of time periods, time buckets for 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 gun laws and uh so when you start to see that both the dates that they're referencing in these laws and the the nature of the laws you can kind of (laughs) immediately identify where they came from and what the what the end purpose was from those time frames uh you know that that sort of immediately after the civil war is a period of time let's say 1863 to 1867 or so uh, mm-hmm. the, the South was in a period of time when it was essentially trying to reconstitute slavery. And how were they going about doing that? They were uh, criminalizing all sorts of things and then imposing uh, long, disproportionately long prison sentences for these things that they just decided were randomly going to become now a criminal activity. And then by virtue of your uh, commission of those crimes, you would then be allowed to serve your long, un- disproportionately long sentence uh, in, in the form of work camps, like working for your former <laughs> slave masters. <laughs> so, they want that back. The, yeah. the, the, the socialists want that back. The yeah. communists yeah. want that back. And that's, that's the thing. Like when you, you look at the, 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 the laws that existed in that period of time and the direction that they went, and you see this sort of echo all the way up to present to sort of present day like there's remnants of this stuff that just trickles forward but yes. uh, yeah so that's that that's that immediate post civil war period let's say 1863 to 1867 you could no longer say freed slaves didn't have rights but you could say if you steal a pig you get a lifetime prison sentence which you can which you can work off on a farm picking cotton um, ah, how convenient. <laughs> almost like being a slave. Yeah, almost like being a slave. Yeah. yeah, and there's there's horrible examples of laws that come from this period of time. You know, and, uh, and that continues. So in 1867, uh, as a result of the sort of the economic calamity of the Civil War for the South, as a result of the sort of civil unrest that was brewing all over the South, um... Uh, and, and, and a variety of other issues that were going on in the country in that period of time, the, the, the northern states imposed military law over the, over the south. Uh, so for mm-hmm. a 10-year period of time, uh, uh, the law was maintained by the federal government via, via the U.S. Army. So there's this 10-year block from 1867 to about 1877 where the, the flavor of those laws start to change. And that's where we start to find these analogs that become really problematic for a case. Not that 1868 era laws should really be informative on a court today based on the Bruin analysis, but Bruin does reference the 14th Amendment and states are going to continue to try to pull out analogs from that period of time. 
but it's that 1867 to 1877 period where you get all the quote-unquote black codes, where they would pass laws that would impose uh, high transaction costs and taxes on firearms, where they would uh, ban firearms uh, below a certain price point, so basically make all cheap guns illegal, uh, essentially trying to strip the rights away from the poorer class of people, which was largely the, the population of recently freed slaves. And in light of the, the 14th Amendment's prohibition on, on passing laws that deny people equal protection, these were all given, you know, uh, nice sounding sort of names, you know, like they weren't it, there. It's an era of what I would call facially neutral laws, meaning that the law doesn't say that freed slaves and blacks can't have firearms uh, it'll say something like and there was an 1870 law that was passed in Tennessee that banned all inexpensive and affordable firearms. And the bill was titled an act to preserve the peace and prevent homicide. Uh, mm. So they, they, they'd sort of package it in a way that looked facially neutral, but had an obviously disparate impact in terms of the way the law was implemented. Uh, right. So the, the clear intent of the law was not really to concern ourselves with, uh, uh, you know, providing for uh, for public peace and preventing homicide. It was about making sure that freed slaves weren't were were given the same rights as as uh, as the the white slave owners in the South. Um, and all those facially neutral laws from that period of time, even after the Fourteenth Amendment was passed in eighteen sixty eight. They kind of continue all the way through the late 18th century, all the way up to the early 1900s, um, which frankly is it, it extends beyond even like the sort the southern states, right? I mean, the Sullivan Act in its in its initial passage in New York was a was a sort of remnant of that exact kind of mentality, which is to say, like finding ways to restrict the right to keep and bear arms from people that we don't like. You know, in the, in that yep. case, it was uh, a, not just uh, uh, racial minorities, but also like Italian immigrants in New York around about the turn of the century. Uh, yep. and, and again, like there was no there was no hiding the motivation behind that. The Sullivan Act doesn't expressly say that, oh, it's uh, Italian immigrants and black people can't have their right to keep and bear arms. Uh, but the implementation of that was to that effect. You know, and frankly, 100%. This, this, the, that that particular act is what was specifically struck down by Bruin, you know, that mm -hmm. that particular law. So, yeah, when we see these sort of references in the cases to laws from these different period of time, periods of time, we can pull from that sort of 1791 era. We can pull from that that sort of immediate aftermath of. Uh, of the Civil War, and then we could look at these black codes, and you could kind of immediately get a sense as to where these laws are coming from, and why courts should ignore them. You know, there, there, there's a, a legal argument that's developing around this that you know you could see it in the briefs that are coming online, but, uh, but, but that argument needs to be made not just in a courtroom, but also in the public, which is you know why we're having this conversation today. So. Do you do you think the courts will ignore them, Joe? In your professional opinion, well, you know, 
it's hard to say and that's 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 why i'm i we're concerned you know because again not squarely addressed by the bruin holding as to how it, it should seem fairly obvious right that a law that would have subsequently been deemed unconstitutional for being a violation of the 14th amendment violating people's right to equal protection and due process should naturally escape the bruin analysis right mm-hmm. like it should just naturally be any law that would be otherwise unconstitutional can't be an analog upon which to base a modern law uh i mean uh, that that's that's logical and i'm 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 confident that if uh if these cases develop the wrong way and this this whole issue ends up back before the supreme court i can't imagine clarence thomas coming down on this issue any other way um agreed but but it's not as a it's not as uh it's not as easy an argument for us as it is with regards to the sensitive place laws so the states are going to continue to bring this up they're going to continue to plod this out in front of the in front of courts and say Look, there's a long, rich history across the, the majority of the United States of America. Therefore, it's a, it, it would rise to the level of a tradition of firearms regulation as required under Bruin. And uh, so, look, we can point to all these things and say, you know, there's a long, storied history of, of doing these types of things. And we aim to continue to do that in the new law. Um, this is a question that, that is probably going to take some higher level uh intervention from higher level courts in order to fully answer but in the meantime you know again we're we're just watching states like new jersey and illinois and new york and california drag out the most racist stuff you've ever seen and plot it out for everyone to see credible 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 great great segment thank you joe diane pruitt founder guiding reigns equine assisted therapy for veterans first responders and their families. Another incredible activity that we've done, we had them work in teams um, where they had to get the horses through the obstacles. No lead line, no touching, uh, but had them carry what we called a bucket of burdens. And we actually had them write on a sticker two goals and two burdens, you know, of each team member. And the goal, the only stipulation was that you could never set that bucket down and that you needed to exchange the bucket. Once you completed an obstacle, then I would hand it off to you. And we had like four obstacles. And so I observed, and we watched this team go through this whole process. And when uh, it was a female veteran, she never let that bucket go. And once they completed an obstacle, we asked them to, to take a rock or go out and set it down the obstacle. Never unloaded a rock. Finished the whole activity. I asked her how that went. She said, oh, it went great. You know, the horse did everything. And, um, yeah, we feel like we really succeeded and we really feel good about it. And uh, she's standing there holding it. And I said, uh, you're still holding that bucket of burdens. And, again, it was, she looks down at the bucket and looks at me like I had hit her between the eyes. And it just, again, the tears started to flow. And I said, you carry it all? She said, I sure do carried all those dreams all those goals and all those burdens but would not hand it off to somebody else to unload it that's that magical part i can't explain you can help keep this life-changing and vital program alive for veterans first responders and their caregivers won't you please help 100 percent of your one-time or recurring tax-deductible contribution goes directly to transforming the life of a deserving disabled brother or sister in arms Let's not turn our backs on those who have 
given themselves to preserving our liberty and rescuing us from harm. Please join me and the scores of other veterans and first responders who are stepping up to help our fallen brothers and sisters. Go to guidingrains.org. See what they're accomplishing and consider helping us save this program from extinction. Because if it disappears, so does hope for so many families just like yours. GuidingRains.org. G-U-I-D-I-N-G-R-E-I-N-S dot O-R-G. Gun for Hire Radio is brought to you by Marty's V-Burger. Voted best house-made burger by Vegan News Magazine. Go to martysvburger.com. Marty has locations in Manhattan and Queens. And don't forget to mention Gun for Hire for 20% off. All right, let me get some housekeeping out of the way, and Joe is going to go back into detail and talk about where the ACLU fits in, and we're also we're going to talk about how the Attorney General got a slight spanking over the knee of Judge Bum. But uh, first, one of our guys, Joe, had a great idea, and we only have two weeks to run on this. Uh, when you watch, when you see the link, I talk about uh, you know the black codes are back, and also interested in running for assembly. And I'm posting a link for that. It's a little lengthy, so it'll be in the uh, show uh, reader for you to just click on the link. It'll be hyperlinked there, but. We have an angle where we can, uh, you know, instead of focusing on flipping some control, some let's primary uh, some Democrats like Joe Danielson, Lou Greenwald, Myla J.C., John McCain, Ellen Park, and Annette Shapiro. And it will only require about 100 bucks and a, a few signatures. And uh, everything is on the page. Call to action completely. So anybody who's interested, please click on it. And Joe will also be available to help you. I think it's a great idea. I don't have the time for it, but it's a great idea. While we're talking sharing information, Brad Hendricks' carry page timeline tips is on the Gun for Hire homepage. If you go to gunforhire.com, click on the homepage, click CCW, and Brad Hendricks' tips are there. Everybody's emailing it uh, me for the, the tips. It's on the page. I'm still. I got a person today, Joe, emailed me about uh, you know getting insurance. Where's he going to get insurance now that he has his carry? And I said, do you listen to Gun for Hire Radio? He says, I don't have time to listen to Gun for Hire Radio. Can't you just type me the answer? So I didn't respond. Anyway, if he doesn't have time for an hour to listen to the show and get educated and understand where we are legislatively and insurance, you're not a gun person, and I don't want you on my team anyway. So let's go into Marty's V-Burger. We got the Muppets working and everything, martysvburger.com. Lou Leibowitz that works at Gun for Hire did the new uh, commercial for Marty. Uh, then we have uh, U.S. Law Shield, uslawshield.com. Uh, it's a legal service, um, legal defense service. If you live in 49 states except New York, you need legal defense. Uh, so go to U.S. Law Shield. Please use Gun for Hire, one word, for a 20% discount code. If you live in New York, Peter Tillum is N-Y-T-A-C-D-E-F-E-N-S-E. If you want to know why you should be involved with the New York TAC defense, he filed a Peter Tillum, the owner of NY TAC defense, filed a class action lawsuit against the NYPD for denial of Second Amendment rights. 
dragging their feet with people applying for their carry permits. So Tillam is leading the way in New York. So if you live in anywhere in New York, five boroughs, upstate or whatever, NY TAC Defense and use Gun for Hire or Gun for Hire Radio for your two months free or 10%. Off, I think it's 10% off the uh, monthly fee for that legal defense fund. Uh, don't forget Decoding Firearms by John Petrolino. It's available here. It's available on Amazon. It's available uh, at uh, Aberdeen Guns. Uh, John, by the way, John in Monmouth County and Vinnie Malone and all of these guys, they took uh, me, Jay Factor, and Rosie out to dinner Sunday night to Buenasuera in Red Bank where we ate like we were going to the electric chair. Um, and I had a customer looking for one of these Canic Miami Vice day or night guns. We sold all of ours, and I, reali I realized that John told me at um, Aberdeen Guns that he had one of those guns, and I linked him up with the guy on uh, Instagram, and he got the gun. That's how we support those who support you, ladies and gentlemen. We're all in it to win it. Don't forget my doctor, Optimal Health Wellness NJ. I told you he's not going to come check my prostate in the studio, unfortunately. But Optimal Health Wellness NJ for concierge medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Joe was like, I'm glad that wasn't on my week. Uh, <laughs> Lake Island Rifle and Pistol Club, L-A-K-E-I-S.org. Check out Lake Island Rifle and Pistol Club. They need shooters. They need support. If you're in Scotch Plains, Jen, uh, Jen, Zen Float Center on 219 Park Avenue, Scotch Plains, ZenFloatCenter.com. The Friends of the NRA Dinner is October 5th, 2023. Go to friendsofnra.org. Do not miss it, please. I talked before about the conventions of states. The Convention of States event is, a, is, is going to be held uh, on Saturday, March 25th. They're holding a town hall at the Kings of Kings Worship Center on Valley Road in Basking Ridge. Uh, Bill Spadia will be the host for that one. Everybody knows him. He has a radio show. And the Convention of States is a grassroots movement growing all over New Jersey and America, and it is based on Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. The patriots involved are using the Constitution to bring our constitutional republic back to its origins. They also have a Facebook page, COS Project NJ, for more information. And the last thing, Bill Spady again will be a speaker on July 29th. CNJFO and the D.C. Project are holding a fundraiser at the mansion in Voorhees. Go to cnjfo.com or go to the DC Project uh, website and check it out. Again, uh, real quick, before uh, Joe gets back into the whole racist thing and the black codes, the AG sent a letter to Judge Bum and said, if you don't hurry up with the case, we're going to appeal it to the Third Circuit. Judge Bump came back and said, I'm following your timeline. You handed me extensive amounts of paperwork, more than you were supposed to. I allowed you to do it. And you still owe me information. And now you want to poke the bear and go over my head. I guess if you're going to do it, that's fine. I will no longer be your judge then. But if you want, I am going to be holding court on March 17th if you all want to be there. The next day, the AG and the state uh, the, the state police came back and said, okay, we're going to retract our appeal, even though we told all of the major media uh, that we were going to appeal you because you're not doing your job. Joe, did I sum that up? Fill in the blanks on that, and then you can get back into our black codes, please. Yeah, yeah you know, that that was a an absolutely <laughs> head-scratcher move on the part of the state. Like, I, I just... Do you know? Don't, do you know? Dan Schmutter never calls me out of the blue. He called me up. He goes, "Did 
you read that? I don't know what, what I can't, I, I, I'm in shock. So go ahead, Joe, let, let me yeah, hear about your I mean, shock. I, I mean, I don't, I don't strategically, I can't understand what their objective was with that. Like, yeah, I, I don't know what they were driving at. Um, other than to just sort of go out of the way to piss this judge off, which I, I, you know, I'm not a litigator by background, but I got to imagine it's strategically an unwise decision to sort of aggravate the, the judge that decide, that's deciding the case. Uh, but what I no, found, I like it. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the, 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 the letter response from the, the text order that judge Bub entered was, um, uh, was, what was 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 dripping with sort of passive aggressiveness but the line that i found most interesting in that text order was that uh that she wants this hearing on the 17th to specifically address deficiencies in the in the defendant's briefs uh yes so you know that by itself was not a good you know if i was if i was if i'm cynthia kai sitting at my desk reading that text order i'm like oh we may have poked the bear you know, uh, well, it, first of all, it's Angela Kai. I get to correct oh, you. You have a big brain. Right, right, right. And, Angela uh, Kai, sorry. <laughs> and yeah, it's it's just interesting. Be, but Angela Kai kept saying we have more information, and the judge kept asking for it. And she said, "We're going to give it to you." Yeah. We just don't yeah. have it right now. That, yeah. So I believe that's what the judge is waiting for, right? Yeah. Our legislators have been piling it up in a corner somewhere in Trenton, so they're just, you know, it's a shipping issue. They had to ship over these crates of historical analogs that. Uh, that they had read through in excruciating <laughs> detail when they crafted yeah, yeah, this, yeah. this brilliant piece of legislation. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not I'm not expecting that St. Patrick's Day is going to be a happy one for the state of New Jersey in this case on uh, next Friday. So, but too we'll, bad. We'll see. Too bad. Exactly. We'll see. I uh, I will be celebrating that evening, even though I'm not Irish. We're going to certainly tip a few back that night to uh, yes, to celebrate how that how that how that that hearing goes because it's not going to go well. I think that's fairly obvious based on uh, based on that that fairly short text order. Again, just such a head scratcher. Yes. I just don't know what they were what what they were trying to achieve there. But uh, but nonetheless, it uh, didn't work out well for them, and they immediately tucked their tails back in and uh, turned and ran. So. Here it's good go for us. Absolutely. It's good for us. It's uh there's been a degree watching this whole case progress. I mean, there's been a degree of uh look, the the state was always being uh, the, uh, on some level, on some very very small level, very very small level. Uh the solicitor general's office, I almost feel bad for them because they've been asked to carry water in a basket with this whole trial. You know, the, the there's just been no argument that they can effectively make on most of this stuff. And it's evident. Like, their arguments have been weak in all of the briefings that have come out in all the different phases so far. Um, you know, and uh, but but add into that a, a, a pinch of ineptitude along the way. Like, it has not felt oh, like a the pinch. state... <laughs> I mean, it's not felt like the state sent the A team on this. You know, it seems like uh, not only are they being asked remember, to carry water, they're doing it with a bunch of teenagers, rem- basically. But remember, it's not about that anymore. It's the 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 administration has to look like a box of crayons, like our federal administration. <laughs> We're not picking people on their merits. We have the first unicorn. We have the first one-legged, one-armed, you know, Irishman. Like this is how it worked now in our government. You know, it, it was just International Woman's Day the other day, and a transsexual man got the award. 
for being a, an international woman. We've canceled women. So, I mean, but meanwhile, we're bringing slavery back. Yeah, right. Exactly. You know, again, uh, just adding, <sighs> adding to the kabuki theater of all of that. You know, because when it comes right down to it, like, uh, you know, the, we don't want, want to make sure that those people don't uh, don't exercise their rights. Those so, people. Those Imagine people. if it was a, a conservative that said those people. Oh, no. Imagine I mean, that. As I said at the beginning of the show, like if, if these types of things were being said by anyone in any other context, you know, like I said, they'd lose their Twitter accounts for sure. Like, no question. Um, you know, and so, I mean, I, I think we beat the horse on the, in, in the first half of this. I mean, I think it really comes down to, like, where do we go from here on this? Yes, um, talk to me. Well, so... I'm not saying that I'm clairvoyant on all this stuff, but when 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 the I I the moment that the Supreme Court granted cert on the Bruin decision, like the Bruin the the Bruin case, uh, that would have been sort of summer of 2021. The first thing that I did was run to the store and pick up a concealed carry pistol because the writing was on the hmm. wall. Like you know, like this was gonna go this way, you know, like uh, the. The way that the Supreme Court has supported gun control in the past has been just by not taking these cases. You know, that that's how the judiciary has propped up gun control going all the way back to the NFA and, uh, you know, the, the earliest stages of sort of 20th century firearms regulation with the NFA and then ultimately the GCA in 1968. The Supreme Court just sort of backed off and just said, like, oh, we're not granting cert on this issue because... I don't care what stripe you are. The Second Amendment is ex as bright line as I said earlier. If the court's going to take a case on the Second Amendment, it's going to come down on the text of the Second Amendment, which is as clear as a bell. Correct. Uh, there's just not much legally to debate. If the court takes the case, it, there's only one way to go, regardless of the composition. Uh, when the composition was different or when it wasn't right for us, they would just simply not take Second Amendment cases at all. Uh, and, and that went on for nearly a century where the Supreme Court just ignored the issue. Uh, and it, we, we had to wait all the way up to 2008 for something to move. Um, but uh, but excruciating, yeah. by the way, oh. the prime of my life waiting, wasted and waiting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'll tell you to this day, like uh, I'll never take this right for granted. I mean, I carry every minute of every day and I will for the rest of my life because not because I'm. You know, just because I'm concerned about self-protection, it's just like I it's I've waited so long for this. Right. I'm never going to take it for granted. You know, God but, bless uh, you. Hopefully there's, uh, you know, a generation of people in the future who, who never think that way, because uh, in general, that's the way things are going. But, um, you know, in terms of where we go from here, I mean, uh, again, I'm not saying that I'm clairvoyant. I knew that the Supreme Court was only going to rule one way. And then the Bruin decision came down and there were some clear areas where Bruin is uh, is this sort of uh, very powerful holding that 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 helps us in many ways. But there's some there's some little nooks and crannies, some doors that might be left ajar just enough to get a foot in. And, and that's where gun control is going to go in the future. And it's it's stuff like uh, insurance and fees uh, and and training requirements and the and the and the and the general you know 
they they raised the fee from fifty to two hundred dollars. To me, that's meaningful. Like that's yep. a that's an impressive change. But uh, when have we ever seen gun control stop in one flavor and not progress? Right. If this issue is left, and they get to raise the fee to two hundred dollars, how long before it's five hundred dollars? And then how uh, long after uh, six that? Six months. It's a, yeah, exactly. Like. It, they're never going to back off on this issue. Whatever they've been left with, they're going to continue to amp that up and ramp that up over time. Uh, so the fees will go up. Uh, you know, insurance. I mean, again, I, I find that the concept of of requiring insurance and the way that this law is written to to be uh, to be somewhat terrifying in terms of the implication of that in the future. You know, if that if that's allowed to take take a foothold. Uh, we don't need gun control laws anymore, right? We could just implement that whole thing through insurance companies, which are directly regulated by each state. Uh, so uh, what, we don't need to worry about passing a law when we can have an insurance company just come knock on your door and demand to in- inspect, your, inspect your safe. Oh, you've got a, an AR-15 at home. Your premiums are going up. Oh, that's a high, a, a non-standard capacity magazine or a high capacity magazine or whatever they want to call it. Uh, you know, you're 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 not going to be eligible for coverage. Oh, you have children at home. Your premiums are going to go up. Uh, so, how insurance companies could ultimately play a role in gun control in the future is kind of somewhat scary. Um, Very scary. But again, You're like right. where, where this all dovetails in is that these fees and insurance and training requirements are all rooted in this this history of uh, uh, of of racist gun control laws from a prior for from a prior iteration of the uh, sort of the American experiment. Um, so, you know, I was concerned about that from the moment the Bruin decision came down and when the testimony phase of this uh, sort of process started, when A4769 first rolled out, uh, when I when I had the opportunity to get down to Trenton and voice my my concerns about that law, I sort of heavily focused my testimony on these particular issues. Uh, you know, one, because it, it is an area where it's going to take more for us to fight this than what Bruin provides. And two, because whether you're, whether you're pro two a or not, uh, the idea of hiding, uh, gun control behind a paywall and restricting the rights of, 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 of the poor and in particular minority groups, we don't have to have a position one way or the other on the second amendment to see that that's problematic. So, 100 you know, percent. My, my thought at the time was like, this is an area where there could be common ground with other folks out there that are not necessarily as, uh, you know, as staunchly pro 2A as we might be, uh, because whether you're pro 2A or not, I mean, we should all be disgusted by uh, by the restriction of a right to, you know, people of means to the well healed people living in suburbia in New Jersey, where folks in Patterson and Newark and Elizabeth and Camden don't get the same rights. I mean, anyone uh, looking at this from a from a thousand foot view would say that that's a problem, you know. So, so again, I focused my testimony on that topic. At the same time, I spent the majority of that period of time 
uh, sort of preparing a, a, a fairly uh, complete legal argument in a form of a long memorandum that I wrote that, that outlined not only the, the sort of the, the legal elements to the sort of equal protection questions that go along with this, but also the legislative history and all the, the, the ridiculously awful things that people like McKeon were saying through that process. Uh, and a, so I wrote, I wrote that. Crap. Oh, my God. You know, um, again, if those words had been echoed by by uh, by somebody on the other side of the aisle, uh, I, the, the, the roar in response would have would have been deafening. Uh, but instead, oh, we, man. But said we got crickets chirping, of course. Yep. So. So. So anyway, so I, I, I sort of compiled this whole memorandum that outlined the, not only the, 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 the legal arguments, but the legislative history and the law itself. And I sent the whole thing to uh, to the ACLU, um, because if there is an organization in the country that is uh, most aligned with this issue, it should be them. Right. I mean, the American Civil Liberties Union is the is the the bulwark against the 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 sort of restriction of fundamental rights and uh crickets chirping from the aclu as well i also well, said they that they're not they don't they don't they don't like the second amendment. it's true they don't like the second amendment you know but again my point to them was the same thing i just said that essentially that whether regardless of what your position is on the second amendment and the future of gun control and the right of the government to, to regulate that in ways that protect the, the public safety. Uh, you, you don't need a view on that to say that a law that is clearly designed to restrict the rights of the poor uh, from exercising a right and, and the obvious implication that that has for minority groups. Uh, you know, again, we, we don't need to be Second Amendment advocates to see that that's a problem and that something should be done about that. But, Joe, how desperate are they that they're hanging their hat on this? How desperate? Well, this is where I'm going. We need to make our voices heard. And that's, that's you know, what, what I sort of advocated for in response to that last post that I did in Syndicate is that, you know, what I'd love to see is people go out and through the ACLU of New Jersey makes it super easy to complain about stuff. They've got a nice little section on their website where you can... Uh, go on there and tell them what you think and, and register your complaint on a particular issue. Uh, so I think we should all do that. I think we should essentially spam the ACLU and shame them for not for not participating in this. Uh, you know, the other the other group that I contacted uh, with that with that memorandum or copied on that memorandum was uh, New Jersey public defenders offices across the state. Um, why? Because they're in the same category. Um, and, and if you look at Bruin, one of the reasons why I got uh, so sort of fixated on this is back when the Bruin holding came down, I read, uh, you know, all, a variety of the amicus briefs that were submitted alongside um, NYSERPA's arguments. And uh, one of those amicus briefs came from the, the, a collection of New York public defenders offices, you know, and, and their point was... Yep. When you look at the implementation of the law in the state of New York, the majority of gun crimes, if we were just to take the aggregate of all gun crimes in the state of, in the state of New York, uh, the majority of those gun crimes was the crime of simple possession, i.e. not connected to any other offense, just merely being in possession of a firearm. 
when we when we look at the collection of of, uh, of cases where those laws were applied against citizens in the state in the city of New York, seventy eight percent of those defendants were African American. So you have this you know this uh, prohibition on the carrying of firearms that applies broadly to the population of the state of New York, and yet it's a minority group that in in this day and age is the only one that is facing legal consequences here. And um, so their, their position is not so much that, oh, you know, we're as public defenders, we're pro 2A advocates. It's not that at all. It's that this, this notion of criminalization only tends to flow in one direction from a, from a racial and ethnic point of view. And uh, so who's going to get arrested by virtue of these restrictions? You know, you yep. hide, you hide the right to own and bear a firearm behind uh, highly restrictive and expensive uh, processes, uh, and it's the folks that are in those poor communities that have to make terrible choices because they live in dangerous places where, where their need for self-protection is the highest. Uh, they're the ones that go to jail for for protecting themselves. Um, yep. And and the New York public defenders they they included in their amicus briefs loads of examples of people who were uh, not career criminals, just people living in dangerous communities that were that were caught up uh, in criminal prosecutions because they chose to carry a firearm for their own self-protection. Um, you know, and it's it's folks like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who in prior cases has, has emphasized or, or brought to sort of the forefront this notion of, quote unquote, civil death. Right. So you're charged with a felony. And you bear that felony like, uh, you know, like a brand for the rest of your life. Once you're a felon, uh, that's that's uh, your your right to bear arms is completely eliminated. Uh, it's going to it's going to show up on every background check. You go to apply for to, to for a lease to lease an apartment. They're going to see that you're a felon. Um, they, you go get a job and uh, they, they run a background check and you're you come up as a felon. That's a that's a, a scarlet letter that you carry for the rest of time. Um, and it's these types of criminalization uh, efforts that basically say that, oh, well, this 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 activity that if you're, you know, if you're wealthy enough to pay all the fees and pay for the insurance and get the, the thousands of dollars of private training, like, oh, yeah, you can you can surely access this. And if you live in short hills uh, in a place where there's no crime, you know, you can you know sort of sit in your in your little castle there and have all the rights you want. But if you live in Camden or if you live in Newark or if you live in Patterson, uh, sorry, you're up a creek. Uh, and if you choose to go in and actually exercise a right that's given to you by the Constitution, uh, guess what? You're a felon and you're branded as such for the rest of your life. Uh, and, and that is at the core of all of this sort of uh, argument that's coming from the left about where, um, where you know, th these sort of these racial issues that are that, that, that they want to drag to the forefront all the time. It's it's this exact issue that uh, is perpetuating that cycle. You know, um, remember New York, just possession of a knife in your pocket. If they, if they see the clip sticking out of your pocket, that, that's that's probable cause to search you and you get locked up and you go to jail.
Yeah. And you're right. You can't if you're a nonviolent felon. We shouldn't be doing what we do. Do you know how many customers I get come in here and they got caught selling weed when they were 19 years old and they're 58 years old now and they've been working the same job for 30 years and they can't own a gun because they were convicted of a federal felony, you know, 45 years ago. It's 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 so discriminatory. And the only way to get rid of that is a presidential pardon. You can get a, a felony expunged if it's at the state level, but the the person screwed, like you said, that scarlet letter. It's horrible. Yeah, it's going to follow you for the rest of your life. That that's the yep. point that that New York public defenders were making, and and Cook yep. County public defenders from Illinois and other places where this is you know this is a a, a front of mind issue for them, where they're seeing uh, indigenous folks come through their offices because they've been arrested for something like this, and having to defend these folks and take plea deals in order to keep them out of jail and then brand them with that scarlet letter that they have to carry for the rest of their lives. You know, uh, you know, that that's, this is at the, at the core of, of, of these political issues that everyone's making hay over. And yet here we are perpetuating that with the, with laws passed and being driven by the very people that are out there saying that, Oh, you know, uh, uh, let's fly the BLM flag because, you know, uh, you know, we want to collect votes somehow. Uh, it really yep. is just kabuki theater in the end, you know. So we're 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 running out. We got about three minutes left, Joe. Let, what do you want people to do? Or call to action? Everything? Uh, how can people help? Education? Spreading it around? Uh, please, because it's it's been enlightening listening to you. Because you know, I just usually yell and rant and rave, and Sandy gives me shit. But it's nice to have somebody like you on. Uh, we el you elevated the show today. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's up for debate, but uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm glad that I could spend some time <laughs> time here talking about it because it's a, it's a it's an issue that that is important to me, you know. Because I, uh, I, we can hear that. Um, you know, uh, I, I would say, I mean, as I said, I mean, I, I would love to see people go out there and directly contact the ACLU. Um, as far as other things, I mean, again, I'll remind everyone, this is an election year. Everything matters this year. Uh, there's no uh, gubernatorial election on the docket for November. There's no presidential elections. The only thing we're thinking about come November is the composition of the state house in Trenton. And the margin for the Democrats in the state of New Jersey is not as wide as you think it is. Can we get out there and make a difference and flip some districts? I think we can, but we got to be saying this, the right things uh, when we're dealing with the public at large. And this is just one of those big, bright areas where, uh, you know, whether you're pro 2A or not pro 2A, uh, highlighting this and talking about this the right way uh, is a way for us to, to get folks to listen who might not have otherwise done so. So, mm -hmm. you know, I would just I would just ask everyone to get as politically active this year as they possibly could, because this is an election cycle where we could make a difference. Um, you know, on that there's, note, there's so many. Go ahead, John. Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, I'm, I'm hoping maybe there might be an excuse for me to come back on in, in, in the future, oh. because uh, I'm working on a project with CNJFO. I love that organization. I, I support CNJFO. Uh, Mark Cheeseman has been helping me. Jay Factor as well. Uh, we may have something to talk about in the near future about politics in the state of New Jersey. So uh, you so will be on again. Hopefully we will be back to talk about some more s definitive steps we can take. Yeah, you didn't embarrass me today, so you'll be on again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want to wrap up. 
Don't forget to get your copy of Crime Proof. Support those who support you. CNJFO, NRA, ANJRPC, NJ2AS, FPC, and SAF. Have at it. Each one, reach one. You do not need insurance until July. Please leave me alone and carry on. I'm done. Joe, thank you so much for being here. Pleasure. And for everything that you do, do. Well, it looks like you've done it again. You've wasted yet another perfectly good hour listening to Gun For Hire Radio. Gun For Hire Radio is a Counterthink Media production. The music used in this broadcast is managed by Cosmo Music, New York, New York. On behalf of our show host, Master Trainer Anthony Calandro, author of Crime Proof, Think Like a Criminal and Beat Them at Their Own Game, which he did actually mention just before. Uh, available yeah. wherever great books are sold and at the gun shop, bookshop, gun range, also known as Gun for Hire, where you can get a copy if he's around from time to time, which he's rarely there. Well, we love you guys <laughs> from the beautiful Gulf Shores of Alabama, where it is currently sunny and 83 degrees, and the New York City skyline, where it is, well, not. God willing, Jesus tarries and the batteries hold out. We will see you again next week. <laughs>